Hey, y'all, if you enjoy watching your podcast, which seems kind of weird, watching your podcast, but some people really enjoy that. So we have a YouTube channel. You can find it at Heather Parody, P-A-R-A-D-Y. It's also linked up in the show notes. You can hit subscribe. And several of these interviews are actually in person. So you can watch that. Again, that is at Heather Parody on YouTube. The business of creativity, the business of art. Listen, y'all, as creatives, of course we love what we do, but if you want to make a living out of your craft, you got to realize you're a business, my friend. Today, I connected with the amazingly talented, incredible, world-renowned pianist, Chad Lawson, who spent 20 years as an independent artist before being signed with a label. His music has had 500 million streams globally. He's been in the top 10 U.S. billboard for classical music. He's the official composer for the television series Lore. His music has been used in The Walking Dead, Vampire Diaries, Viceland. I mean, this guy's all over the place. His fans rant and rave about how his music and experiences at his shows have literally changed their life. Chad's one of the most heart-centered, genuine people I've met, brilliantly talented, but here's something I didn't know about him. He knows the business of music. In this conversation, Chad opens up and unapologetically shares the business side to making your craft work for you. He shares what he did in his early days, how we got his first few opportunities, and why as artists you should be unapologetic about making money. Y'all need to get out your pen and your paper for this one, my friends. No matter how small the accolade is, no matter, wave it like it's the Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory entrance ticket. Really? Wave it in front of everybody. So when I speak to artists, the very first thing that I tell them, go after the money. Go after oh, the money. That's so interesting. I was ready to walk away from music. I was really ready to like walk away. It's not going to be an answer that's going to win me a lot of friends, to be honest, but it's <laughs> for me personally, it's this reality. It's part of the gig. It's one of those things where it's like, you have to do the work. No one's going to do it for you. Chad Lawson. First of all, I have told people in my circle probably dozen times how freaking grateful I am that I met you. Well, I think so highly of your work. It's interesting. It's different. I've never met anyone who does what you do. But what's cool, like the frosting on top is behind the scenes. You are such a genuine person and it radiates through everything that you do that you want to help people and that you love people. And you can't fake that. You can't fake it. So Lucky to meet talented folks, but when you meet folks who also bring heart, spirit, and soul and really want to bring healing to this world, you're just going to have to know Heather Parody forever. So I apologize yeah. about that in advance. Right. Uh, thank you. Thank the thank world you. of you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, if I just want to get a little bit of background of your story, I know pieces that I've read on the internet and I've listened to a few of your interviews. It started from what I've heard, what I've read from a very, very young age that you knew that music is what you wanted to do with your life. Is that correct? Yeah, I was born at a young age and it all just kind of went downhill from there. I didn't grow up in a musical family. And so when I was five, I'm dating myself, I'm 48. So this is quite some time ago. We used to watch a show on television and the show was called Shanana. And so back in the day, back in the Shana. 80s, Shanana was a okay. duo band on TV. I don't even know if they were a real band. I think they were kind of like the monkeys. They were like a made up band in a roundabout way. 
And um, so they had this weekly show and we would sit around as a family and we would watch this show. And I had no idea what the guy was doing, like no clue what the instrument was, but he was having the time of his life. And I was like, mm. that is what I want to do. He's just having a blast. He's just having a great time. It was screaming Scott Simon is his name. And so my parents rented a piano because who's going to believe a five-year-old? So that, like, they're not going to commit to a, a full piano for a five-year-old. And I started taking lessons then, and I'm still taking lessons. Do the math 43 years later. So I'm still at the piano trying to figure out what to do with this darn thing. And so from that point on, like my parents, they were always incredibly encouraging. My dad was a furniture designer. So... I grew up in the element of that's not like a typical nine to five kind of job. And so he, he worked from home for most, most of the time. And then he eventually got an office space out of the house. But I really grew up like under that umbrella of creative pursuits. Yeah. And actually his book was called Creative Endeavors, now that I think about it. And I thought that was really fascinating. But it's something that he really kind of, we can probably hit on this a little later, but really what I saw with him was something that he illustrated with me later on in life, which was you have to learn how to make money while you sleep. And I always thought that was really interesting because like there was a period and I'm, not, I'm kind of jumping ahead of the story here a little bit, but like his design work, the income was royalty based. So like, even though he passed yeah. a couple of years ago, my mom is still receiving, you know, royalty checks from items that, you know, he's designed. And as long as those items are in the catalog and selling, there's still that, you know, percentage that's going to go to whoever it's supposed to go to. And so he was like, you know, you can only, there's, there's only so many jobs you can do. There's only so many lessons you can teach or performances or whatever. There's only so many hours. He's like, you've got to figure out a way to make money while you sleep. And so that's really was a turning point in my career, which we can get to at another point. So the impact that my folks had of just being very creative, very supportive, just go after it, you know, don't come up with a backup plan because that's typically what, what you do is you, you back up, you know, when you have like a plan B, that plan B quickly becomes plan A. And then you're just kind of completely sidelined of what you really wanted to do. You know, so I was fortunate. I, I, I don't take for granted. I really don't. I don't take for granted that I had parents that were just like, go after it, go do it. Well, coupling that too with the wisdom of residual income, was would you consider him a businessman? No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, really, the, the reason, I mean, you know, necessity invention, right? As far as when my wife and I found out we were going to have our first child. And this was 2009, give or take. I've been playing gigs. I've been waiting tables. And, you know, yeah. that's the plight of a, of a musician. You have a stake in one hand, you have a promo pack yeah. in the other. Yeah. And, you know, I waited tables for 15 years. And so it's like between that and doing gigs, when we found out when we were you know, going to have our first kid, I was like, you know what? This isn't sustainable. It's like, I, I want to be home at night. I want to be able to like put the kid into bed and, and just be around instead of mm -hmm. like, you know, either being at a restaurant or being at a, a gig somewhere performing. And that's really where the idea of, you know, when I was telling my dad this, I was just like, you know, cause at the time I was working like 70 hours a week. I was a video editor. I was waiting tables, yep. I was teaching trailers, like all this exactly. Right. And so that's when, you know, we had the conversation. And so at that point I was like, you know what, I'm going to see what I can do to get my music into film and television. 
And so I created a pact for myself. I was like, I'm going to get up every day at 4.30. Some days it was 4.45. I would sit at my desk and I, back in the day, this is when uh, SoundCloud was really big. So I had a three song playlist on SoundCloud and I would just start searching for music catalogs or music supervisors or anyone that had anything to do with music for film and television. And so I had a quota of, of how many emails I would send before I would be able to get up from that chair. This is so real. And so I had like a template email. And so here was a template, send, send, send. A month goes by, two months goes by, three months, nothing. Not a single reply or not a, a yes from anybody. So finally after, finally after six months, I get this guy writes and he goes, hey, I think I can use one of your songs for a TV show. It's an MTV series called Teen Mom 2. And I was like, cool. I, I, the, I mean, the fact that like there was even a Teen Mom 1, I, I, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I'd never heard of the show. And so what I did then, do you know how like in Willy Wonka, like whoever would get like that golden ticket, they were so excited that they mm. would run around and they would wave that ticket in front of everybody and be like, I got a golden yes. ticket. Yes. When I speak at music conferences, I talk about this. No matter how small the accolade is, no matter, wave it like it's the Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory entrance ticket. Really? Wave it in front of everybody because someone's going to notice, right? And it may seem so in, so insignificant, so insignificant, but someone's going to notice. And so what I did with that Teen Mom 2 placement I went back and I emailed all of those people that either said no or didn't reply. And then the email subject line, it said featured artists on MTV. Brilliant. That opened some emails, right? And so then I was able to eventually get a song on The Walking Dead. You can barely hear it, honestly. And I don't watch The Walking Dead. That stuff That's my out. favorite show. You know that? <laughs> I, I love that show. I don't even know what episode it is because I didn't watch it, but my mom did. And she called me and she's like, she's like, Dad, they're eating a horse. And I'm like, why are you watching this? I was like, oh my God, you've heard this song a thousand times. He's like, well, I just wanted to see it, you know? But so then I wrote back all those people and I was just like, featured artist and walking dead, you know? And so I really started to like, the door began to open up. And there was one licensing group out of Texas called Music Bed. And at the time, again, this is, you know, maybe six, seven, eight years ago. At the time, they were like really, really tops. Like they were the ones you really wanted to get in with because they were doing like these massive commercials. And so I had sent my material to them and they were like, eh, we're cool. We're good. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know, thanks so much. I was like, what the heck, you know? And during all of this, there was a, a mega church in Charlotte, North Carolina, that had asked me to write some music for one for a video segment of theirs. And it was like super orchestral. And it was really just like lush and gorgeous. And it was really a fun project. And it was this huge orchestra and it was just really fun. It turned out really well. I was really happy with it, to be honest. And so I got a call from somebody at MusicBed. And they were like, hey, we're this licensing group out of Texas. Don't know if you've ever heard of us or not. We just saw this piece that you did for this mega church. Would you be interested in having your music here on music? Bed? And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I could take this either two ways. I can be the jerk and be like, yeah, I've submitted to you guys and you rejected me. Or I could just play dumb and go along, which I chose to do that. 
And that really began to, to change things tremendously. Mm. But here's what's interesting. And here's something that I really want to illustrate. What I was sending earlier to Musicbed was music that I thought they would want. Here we it go. It wasn't necessarily Chad Lawson's stuff. It wasn't something that I'm passionate about doing. I was saying, what would this group want to hear? And so I was sending them things they already had. Interesting. That people did really well, far better than what I was doing. But what they didn't have was the classical, symphonic, cinematic, orchestral material. They didn't have that. And they were like, whoa, I like this. We don't have anything like this. Let's talk. And my side, it was like, well, this is my heart strength. This is what I do best. And so I, I share this with other artists when I talk about this. of like, don't get into that place where you're creating because you feel like that's what the audience is going to want. Because there's a slippery slope in this. Because if all of a sudden I started doing Latin pop, which I know nothing about. I love listening to it, but I know nothing about creating it. And if I become known as the guy that does Latin pop, I'm going to be doing Latin pop for the rest of my life. And that's not really where my streams are. And so with Musicbed, that began to really, really, really open up a whole other category of just finances. And the way that it, it really began to, to, to show itself is I equate my career as a three-legged stool. So one leg of the stool is streaming. Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, whatnot. The second leg of this three-legged stool is touring. And then the third is music for film and television. Okay. And so when one of those legs begins to wobble just a little bit, the other two subsidize to be able to kind of, you know, lift it up. Because what was interesting is we were beginning to have more and more monies coming in from film and television. And so if a festival in Berlin called and said, hey, this is a really great festival, you need to be on this, it doesn't pay that much though. You're like, cool, that's totally fine. Because we had those monies from film and television, from Chevrolet commercials and IBM and all this kind of stuff that was really beginning to come in. <clears throat> and then it allowed me to become far more selective in the time that I was going to be putting towards a performance or whatever that may be, right? And then the other thing that really, really was such a game changer about this is that it allowed me to take risk with what I would release, musically speaking, under my name. Hmm. So for instance, I didn't have to worry about an album doing well anymore because I had those monies coming from film and television that would be able to you know, make sure that we kept the lights on. And there was- Your a dad's advice, residual. Exactly, right? Yeah. And so those albums are the ones that got featured on CBS Sunday morning. Those albums were the ones that were number one billboard, were number one iTunes, because I was able, because I took a risk and I was like, yeah. you know what, let's just go for it. Let's just see what happens. So when I speak to artists, the very first thing that I tell them, especially at conferences, the very first thing, go after the money. Go after oh, that's the money. so interesting. It is so, and like, it's so antithetical to like everything that we've been told that artists are supposed to starve and don't mix money and art and all this kind of crap. There was a tremendous book written years ago called Make Art, Make Money. It's either make, make Art, Make Money, or Make Money, Make Art. It's one of the others. Okay. And this lady, she followed the history of Jim Henson. 
she was like, why was Jim Henson so successful? What was it about him that really made his success? It's a brilliant book. It's highly recommended. And what she found is that Jim would take a small piece of art because it's all he had to start with. And he would sell that piece of art. And then with that money, he would make another piece of art just a little bigger because mm. he had the and then he would sell that and then he would make another piece of art bigger and it's a snowball effect right so he didn't look at money as like this thing that like allowed him to to wear something nice or drive something nice he looked at it as a, a, you know an avenue to be able to a catalyst to be able to create and that really became the case with music for film and television is doing something that allowed me to take risk and to be creative and that just continued that whole snowball effect. And it also allowed me to stay home. It allowed me to be home with my family. And, you know, it's not a day goes by where there's not some form of royalty coming in. Did it take time? Yes. yes. It took right. quite some time. But I'm not going to be doing anything else differently with my life. So I might as well, like, get started with it and do it now. So go after the money. I know that sounds, like, so bizarre. But no. It's good. And you just literally gave a master class in like 17 yeah. minutes. I was not ready for that. And this is what I love about conversation is they, it starts to take on its own form and identity. Cause I'm like, I'm going to talk to chat about this, but in this direction that you just shared, I want to go down that instead, because it's interesting to me and I, I the resistance around the business side and the art there's, a narrative, at least with the folks that are running my circle and that are, you know, I'm attracted to and attracted to me, where there's this almost martyr piece mm -hmm. where it's like, but it's not about the money, chat. It's about the people and it's about the art. It's about saving the world and it's about this. And I think, and I'm curious your perception on this. I know for me and my own inner work and stuff, that has been a a shield to protect myself mm. when really it's my own ego and my own insecurity as opposed to my own nobility and like wanting to save the world. You know, I think it's this really noble trait. And in my own life, it's just been a, an invitation to heal wounds inside of myself with money and what does it mean to be successful and what does it mean to put on the subject line featured artist here and there isn't that bragging chat isn't it bragging to wave the golden ticket in front of everyone because as empathic heart-centered folks that's not what we that's not authentic to us you know you hear what i'm saying did you face any of that how do you kind of combat that narrative with a lot of good-hearted folks who genuinely love people but kind of get in their own way with the martyr story well i i joke that i chose the wrong career i don't like the spotlight i hate it to be honest like being on this side of the camera makes me cringe I'm sorry <laughs> well no because like i you know you know i don't know if you've ever read the book five love languages or mm -hmm. not. I, I actually send it to a lot of my friends even though it's faith-based there's like some tremendous business value in this book i am not a words of affirmation person I'm not, it's literally the last on my list, really? like praise and affirmations and you're amazing. Literally that's the bottom of my list. I, I, I just, I could care less for it, to be honest. Whereas my wife, it's actually her very first thing. And, she, mm -hmm. and she's like, you have people tell you you're amazing every day. I don't get that, you know? And I'm like, yeah, okay. I say that for a reason though. Like the whole thing of, there's a, there's a guy named Ryan Holiday who mm -hmm. I just adore. 
And his very first book that many people don't really know about is called Trust Me, I'm Lying. Everybody knows him for like the obstacles away and all the stoicism and everything. But one of his, actually, it may be his very first book, was about manipulating the media on a shoestring budget. And I was like, sign me up. That's me right there. And so, you know, the book is called Trust Me, I'm Lying. And he talked about this in the book where it's like, and I'm, I'm bringing this into the whole Willy Wonka thing. He says, if you have ambitions of being on a major news outlet for whatever it is you're doing, you can't go straight to the major news outlet. You can't go to CNN and hope to be like in the okay. Times Square, right? He's like, you have to find the smallest local college newspaper. Yeah. Something so small and go after that. Because he says what happens is those local markets will then put something out if you're lucky enough. And then what's happening is there are regional markets looking at those small local ones because they don't want to do the work. No offense. And so if those eyes capture and then put it out there, well, then you've got larger regionals that are watching those smaller regionals. And again, this is the whole snowball thing. And so now you've got, you know, the East Coast that's looking at the Atlanta newspaper being like, oh, that's a really interesting story. That's kind of cool. And so he had one client that literally did that and then got all the way up to like national CNN feature for zero money, like no PR, no, like no crazy hiring schemes. Because like, you have to think backwards. I'm a huge fan of reverse engineering. I have two schools yeah. of thought, subconscious and reverse engineering. I'm a big believer in both of those. And so going back with like the whole modernism and everything, as far as like waving the ticket and everything, I think for me personally, since I don't have an ego, since I don't have, and I, I say that like in a non like egotistical way, I, get it. Bizarre. I don't go out there trying to be on stage. I don't. And so for me, I'm a problem solver. I love puzzles. I love waking up every single day and saying to myself, literally, I do this every day. What is the most impossible thing I can go after? What is the most impossible, like pie in the sky, blue sky kind of guy, dream it. What is like that thing where people are going to laugh? That's what I want to go after. Not because I want to be like, look at me, but because it's like, I cracked the code. I found out the solution that, Interesting. that was missing the piece. Like, I really want to like fig figure this out. And so for me, it's not about like, waving a, a ticket in front of someone, waving a ticket in front of someone to be able to say, ha ha, look at me, I did this. Right. But more of like a, dude, I figured it out. I figured out this, 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 you know, it's almost like you're playing Mario Brothers and you're going from like, you know, one level to another, to another. So when we were, you know, back in the day, I was teaching you piano lesson and my wife came in she, like during the lesson, which she never did. I was like, oh my God, this one die? What's going on? And she was like, you're not going to believe what I just heard on NPR. I'm like, okay, what did you just hear on NPR? Because we're NPR junkies. And she was like, there was an interview with John Lithgow. And they went to break. And they were playing one of your songs in the break. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I mean, which would happen every now and then. So I'm super grateful. But she goes, when they came back from the break, the, the guy doing the interview started asking a question. And John Lithgow goes, whoa, 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 whoa. whose song was that? What was it? What, who, what artist was that? He was like, I actually was enjoying that during the break, you know? And they were like, oh, that's Chad Lawson, blah, 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 so-and-so. So I did some serious digging 
and found out who the producer of the show was for that, oh, for that show. And so I sent them a box. There's a, in Asheville, North Carolina, there's a place called French Broad Chocolates Divine. Just so good. I love that sugar. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just rub it. <laughs> And so they have like this box of truffles and it's just six truffles. At the time it was like $21 or something like yeah. that. So I sent a box of chocolates and I simply said, thank you so much. Really meant a lot. That was it. Nothing else. I got a call a couple of days after that. And she goes, Hey, I got your chocolates. Thank you so much. I was so thoughtful. I really appreciate that. She goes, Hey, anytime you want to be on the, on the show, this is back when talk of the nation was on. So like national NPR, not local national. She goes, you know, anytime you want to be on the show, just, just let me know. She's like, do you have a new album or anything like that at all that you can share? And I said, as a matter of fact, I do, I do have a new album. And she was like, how about next month? I was like, great. She's like, cool. My people will reach out and we'll start scheduling things. I didn't have an album. I had nothing written. I had absolutely nothing. I hung with the phone. I was like, holy crap, I got to write an album. <laughs> and I did. And so I wrote an album called The Space Between. Wow. Went all the way up to DC. She's like, oh, we can do it locally. It's like, no, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. Come on. Face to face. Drove up to DC, seven hours. <clears throat> did the thing. And then afterwards, after, I don't know if you know this or not, but like with the NPR segments, what they do after the segment is they sit down with the producer and everybody that worked on it. And they were like, okay, what worked and what could we do better? Right. Let's, let's kind of, you know, what was that thing I sent you where like, well, it was the pre-mortem, but mortem, this post, is post, yeah. post. Yeah. And, and what I did is I took a num I took the name of everybody that was at that table and I really just took the time to interact with them and just to learn life, figure out what they liked, figure out what passions they had, figure out their, their birthdays, figure out like what it was that just really made who they were. Right. And then one person in particular, she left and she went to a larger NPR show called All Things Considered. And so we always just kept in wow. touch. And it was one of those things where like, she was a hobbyist singer. She loved getting up and, you know, and doing like open, open mics. And I knew that she had moved to LA. And so I'd reach out and be like, Hey, what open mics are you doing? She's like, you know what, these, these were really encouraging emails. I need these because it's, it's making me like go out and do open mics. And so we just kept that relationship. And then she eventually called and she's like, Hey, do you want to be on all things considered? We've, we've got an open time slot. You that know, works. the reason why I bring all this up is going back to the whole waiting tables for 15 years element. That was the biggest education I could ever ask. I went to Berkeley college of music for two years. I dropped out. I'm a self learner. I read and read and read. I am just, I love problem solving, like I said, but waiting tables was the biggest education for me musically and for my career, because what it taught me was learning how to accommodate people's needs and connecting with people before they even realize they had, right? So like when waiting tables, if someone were to say, Hey, can I get another beverage? Hmm. I'm empty. I've missed that mark to where like, I should have been on that. Right. And so like, if I'm taking care of a table or back then, and I notice that someone's glass is like less than half, I'm on it. I got it. And they're like, oh my gosh, thanks. I didn't even realize I need that. Now take that perspective into your everyday and the people that you interact with. And then yes. how can you take care of their needs? How can you connect with them 
in a way that most people don't. Because here's what's happened with the whole NPR thing. When I sent that box of chocolates, that's when she reached out to me. She's like, no one ever does that before. No one. And so, you know, after that, I was on a flight. And this is back in the day when, like, you know, they had the 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 radio things and the and the and the armrests and you put in your earbuds and you like try to you know scroll through the radio stations and in the magazines they would list what the radio programs were and who you know what artists they were playing for that month and i was like who does this who puts this together somebody this is someone's job somewhere so i did some digging in and actually found out who it was i sent my pack to her you know the cd and the press pack and the news and all this kind of jazz nothing didn't get anything at all emails nothing you know what? I'm going to send her a box of chocolates. That chocolate man. <laughs> so I sent her a box of chocolates. Little six truffles, 20 bucks. And then also sent one to another group who I don't want to mention that I was really, really trying to get connected with. So the same day, I sent two boxes. And within 20 minutes of FedEx sending me a notice that they both had been delivered, I had phone calls from both of them. The lady at Delta Airlines, she was like, yeah, yeah, your music's fine. You're going to be on Delta for the next six months. Your coverage, you're good. My God, these chocolates are amazing. Tell me about these chocolates. And I was like, well, you know, they're from like my local home area. You know, just wanted to send something from my backyard to you. And she's like, you know what? We're going to put you on Delta for the next year. Because these chocolates are amazing, right? I'm like, seriously, is this all it is? This is like chocolates? Is this all I need to do? And then I was like, you know what? One morning I woke up and I was like, okay, we've done NPR. What's bigger than NPR? Mm. Sunday morning. As an indie artist, how can I get on CBS Sunday morning? Mm. I sent the packet, no response. Sent a box of chocolates. Not chocolate. I got a call. It's just like, hey man, just want to say thanks. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he goes, I don't have anything at the moment, but you know, stay in touch, whatever. It's fine. I was like, great. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So. I, at this time, I was no longer living in New York. I, I used to, but, and I would randomly send him an email and I would say, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, in New York tomorrow. Can I buy you lunch? And he would say, no, he's like, I can't, you know, this and that. Well, one day, <laughs> one day he, he was like, yeah, let's get coffee tomorrow. I had no plans to be in New York. I was, I was on the next flight up to go wow. to New York just to sit with him and be like, let's have lunch. And here's something that I've really learned with, when you're doing this, you're doing two things. You're connecting with people that yes, they're decision makers, but they're always treated like decision makers. Mm. And that makes me sad. I'm actually about to cry right now. They're not treated as like just someone that someone just wants to connect with, sit with, have lunch with, so box right? And he even said this, he goes, you know, I'm on the phone every day with everyone from Lady Gaga to whoever. And he goes, the biggest thing that I get asked is what can you do for me? He's like, you turn it around. He was like, what you did was you gave something to me. Whereas I'm usually the one that's doing the, the giving. And I thought that was really, really interesting. It's like, how often are we reaching out to someone that's, that is going to be able to like propel us in whatever field that yeah. we're in? And how often is it a, what can you do for me? But if we were to turn that narrative around and if we were to make it a, hey, you know, what can I do for you? We're not even asking. But just sending something so simple as a box of chocolates. And what I've done is I've begun to, every single time I'm with somebody, I make sure we never talk about work. It's never shop. It's How about, come? It's, it's about where, because that's all they hear. It's mm. all they hear. It's about where, it's like, tell me about your family. Where did you grow up? 
And then I find out, I weave it in there. I figure out their birthday. I have an Excel spreadsheet of birth dates. And if you you can get their kids' birthdays, even better. Because then you send your kids a birthday card. The fact that you're thinking about someone else's kid, dude, that goes so long. The, the, The producer for CBS Sunday Morning, my wife is a baker. And so every year for his birthday, we send them homemade chocolate chip cookies in a mason jar for his birthday. So once a month, <laughs> we have about, I have the biggest sweet tooth on the East Coast. So once a month, my wife gets together and she makes this giant bowl of raw cookie dough. Of chocolate oh, man. And we send out about 10 mason jars a month of just chocolate chip cookies. Because like, and it's like 10. And sometimes it's like, well, who else can we send it to? I don't know. You better think of somebody, right? It's like that constant sewing into, giving into, building the relationship and just connecting with people. It's just, I can't express how important that is. I really can't. Because then you just build those relationships. And I don't ask, I don't, the guy from CBS in the morning, the producer, the, the person from NPR, like those are things that I'm going to go back to and say, can I get on the show? Can I do that? Because I don't need to anymore. But now I've got like this whole relationship with these people that are just beautiful people. And we'll just right. sit with for hours and just connect and talk with. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly where to go to from, from there. But I think one of the most important things I, I think I would illustrate is just really taking the time just to learn who people are. Instead of just like what they do, I think there's mm. a really big reason that's been super helpful for us, my wife and I. Yeah. And, it, you know, back to the not wanting to come across this and that, our energy is so, you can't fake it. People pick up on it. And so just having the right intention, if you're worried about, I don't want to come across as this and that, the fact that you're even questioning that, you know, shows a sincerity there. So I don't need to be afraid to be proactive. And speaking like proactive, one thing that I respect about you and I've picked up subtly through little, just little interactions we've had, you're very, it seems as though you're very conscious of your energy and your bandwidth and what you can take on and what you can't and very intentional with that. And I'm curious when you are an artist and you need to connect and tap out a little bit, keeping space for that. And then also what you just mentioned is time. I'm going to jump on a plane. I'll go meet with you. I'll go sit with you and listen to about your kids. I'm going to bake some cookies and set up the mason jars, the spreadsheets. That is such a craft and a whole other hustle. It's a full-time job, but it can be more than that if you allow it to be. So drawing that boundary as a creative where you can't ignore the business side, but also you have to respect your own energy, your own mental health and creative process. How do you do that, man? Because you seem so calm and like you have really great boundaries, but you're telling me y'all are sending 10 cookie jar masons out every month. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) You know, I'm so laid back. I walk with a cane is what I tell people. And I'm just generally like laid back, but I love the business side almost more than the music side, to be honest. I didn't know that about you. It goes back to, I love to problem solve, but also Mm -hmm. it's also perspective. I don't, I'm not a goal oriented person. I'm not. And that's intentionally. I love what I'm doing. 
and I love the hunt and I love the curiosity behind it all. Mm-hmm. And so for me, in like creating a spreadsheet, it is daunting. It is like, Meh, I don't want to be doing this, but it's also like, it's so fun. Right. Yeah. And if, if, if there's an element that's not fun, or if there's an element that's like more tedious than what it needs to be, then I outsource it. I'm just respecting, respectfully say that there, you have to realize there are books written about this subject. I don't mow the yard. I haven't mowed the yard in 10 years. Yeah. When I mowed the yard, I hated it so much, like yeah. cursing, right? I'm the worst person to mow the yard ever. Like my wife was getting phone calls from our neighbors. Literally, I got on her shoes, so I put my hand in the Bible. And they were like, is he okay? He looks like he's something's wrong. Is he all right? You, you, you need to go That's check on him. Cause I mean, I would just, I would just, I just hated it. Right. And one day I came out, I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not. It takes me six hours to mow the yard. That's six hours that I could really be productive. And we can take those six hours and the money is from maybe two of those hours. We'll pay for someone to come and mow the yard in 20 minutes and they love doing it yeah. and it looks amazing and that's yeah. their passion and that feeds their family yeah. and now i've got four hours that i can really go back and Preach. focus on what i'm doing and that's going to propel what my passion is right and so it's a win-win the the group that's mowing the yard they love it because they want to work and that's what they're doing and then i'm sitting at my desk and i'm going after what i'm trying to do to like further things along so there are elements of it that are just i love surround i love two things i love surrounding myself with people that can throw the ball further than i can mm-hmm. and i love wrong and a lot of times that comes in together i love being wrong because like that means i've got something to learn which is really amazing for me i love that and then two that means that someone can do something better than i can and there's always going to be someone there's always going to be a better pianist always I, I see nine-year-olds playing Mozart on YouTube that just rock my world. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And so, like, you know, realizing that there's always going to be someone better than you at whatever that may be, and mm. that's hey, Yeah. Because that nine-year-old that's playing those, you know, that Mozart and everything, she has an audience just as much as I have an audience. The people that like my music, they may not like Smashing Pumpkins. They may not like Elvis. But the people that love Elvis may not like me. And that's okay. There's a lot of music out there. And there's, you know, this, there's this whole idea of like, you know, we have to compete. And I don't understand because, you know, a buddy of mine, he used to always say it. He was like, create, don't compete. And I thought that was like the best way to put it. Do you create, don't compete. And yeah. so if we get this mindset of saying, you know what, I'm not going to be the greatest or whatever. That's not settling. That's saying I'm okay with not like dismissing everything else in my life just to obsess about this one thing. Because when you think about this way, you know how like as a kid, you would take like a a magnifying glass and you would like, you know, find something and you would just zoom in on it. And that's, you were like trying to look at it as, and see how tight it was, how like close it was, like with this magnifying glass and you're like this, right? But if you, and a lot of times as artists or as creatives, we get that way. We get this magnifying glass in our hand 
and we like zoom so tightly in that we're like this, but we're completely missing everything else that's going on. God, it's so and it's true. Not until we start going like, oh wow, oh 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 oh, so true. This is how this fits in all of this, right? And so I, I think for me personally, that's really what I've been trying to do. I know I'm like super spider webbing here and I will get back. I promise. I love this. I'll Keep going. But a lot of times what I have found for me personally is like when we try to do all of it, we're like this, right? But if we're able to step back and if we're able to say, I see the bigger picture of this, of like how there are so many elements that are much bigger than what I am much bigger than what I am. I have the most rock star, unbelievable creative assistant. Her name is Kate. And she's been with me for six years. And I cannot imagine like not having her just to be able to do the things that I can't do. And also that just yeah. don't move the needle for me. Right. And the other is my wife, you know, 18 years this year, Going back to that whole support group, you know, when going back to when we found out we were going to have our first kid, I was ready to walk away from music. I was really ready to like walk away. I'd been in the restaurant industry for so long. There was a well-known steakhouse that was looking for a wine director, which I had, you know, previous experience doing. And so I, I went to my wife and I was like, Hey, this place is offering me a position for the wine director and we're just going to do that. And she was like, no, you're not. We'll eat ramen noodles if we have to, but you're going to figure out how to do this music thing. Good for her. Right? You're going to figure that out. So, you know, having that support system, I, I was just saying, you know what? This is my lane. This is what I want to be doing. But there are elements of it that I'm not going to be able to do well. So I'm not even going to try to do it. I'm just not. I'm going to bring somebody in that can do it. And the things that I do well, I'll, I'll do well. But, you know, surrounding yourself with people that can throw the ball further. That's important in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, there, there's so many things we can do as far as the marketing business side goes. And I think it's easy to get really overwhelmed because we think we should be doing all of the different things. And it's literally impossible unless you have a huge ass team, which not everybody has. And so you have to make very strategic decisions on which avenue to go, whether it's, Hey, I'm going to spend 4 30 AM sending out emails. That's the best use of my time. Or is the best use of my time having a podcast where, you know, I can share my, some of my music and my thoughts around X, Y, Z, or, you know, I mean, you have to make these micro decisions and it's almost, sometimes it feels like a guessing game, especially when you're mm -hmm. starting off because you don't have data to, you know, back it up. Yeah. You may not have a support system or a team to give you Maybe they're like, hey, you can do it, Heather, but they're not going to give you expert advice. You haven't built that up. So how do you guide artists who are starting off to kind of make those strategic decisions? Because it feels as though, or it can, you know, when you are doing everything alone, you don't know if what you're doing is working and if it's a patience game, yeah. right? Or yeah. if this is a strategy issue. It's not going to be an answer that's going to win me a lot of friends, to be honest, but it's <laughs> for me personally, it's just reality. It's part of the gig. Like early on, mm -hmm. you know, getting up at 4.30 and then going to go wait tables and then going to go teach piano lessons and then going to go work at a wine bar afterwards. But I got up at 4.30 and yeah. 
It's one of those things where it's like, you have to do the work. No one's going to do it for you. Even now. And I mean this respectfully. I mean, I'm part of a, of a, I'm part of the largest record label in the world. I'm on with yeah. Universal and they're the largest record label in the world. And I was an indie artist for 20 years. And before signing to them, being indie for 20 years taught me personally what I believe every single step of the process from yeah. design to fulfillment to recording to press to PR yeah. to pretending coming up with like fake names and fake emails and being like hey I'm representing so and so you know like every element and it yeah. sucked it absolutely yeah. sucked like just you're like why am I doing this why right, right. I woke up the next day and be like it's because it's what I have to do Right? It's because it's like, I'm so passionate about it. It's what I have to do. Yep. And if you truly are passionate about it, you're going to hit walls. You're going to, you're going to, and then you're going to like, you're going to, you're going to sit down, you're going to cry and you're going to like kick and then you're going to get up and you're going to do it all over again the next day. But the interesting thing is all of those years doing that, I'm now able to come to, you know, the conversations at the world's largest record label. And I can ask questions that had I not been in those positions, I wouldn't ask. Right. And the problem with this though, is letting go, which has been really difficult for me because like, I'm so used to my hands getting dirty. And I tell the team at Universal this, I'm like, I love getting my hands dirty. And they're like, yeah, we know, you know, because it's like, I'm asking so much and I'm asking like all the time and they're like, we've got this, we've got this. Yeah. But what about we've got you know, mm -hmm. but then there, and, and what we've been able to do is we've been able to come and they see that, like, I'm not questioning them. It's that I've been doing it for so long right. that I'm just like, I'm curious. And then how can I help? Can, what part of this can I do? It sucked. I'm just gonna be honest for 20 years. It sucked. There's highlights, you know, the very first time I got, you know, an album on number one on iTunes, I couldn't sleep that night. And I, you know, I'm laying next to my wife in bed and she's asleep. And I'm like, how can she sleep? I'm like a number one artist right now. And so you didn't even realize like, what she's laying next to, yeah. you know, but it's like, then that next day you get up and you're like, all right, what's next? What am I going to go after? You know, yeah. and then you hit those walls and you hit those walls and you hit those walls and it sucks, but you have to do the work. You have to do the work. No one's gonna do it for you. Even now, no one is gonna like do what you want them to because it's not them, it's you. And so if you want the ball to move forward, you gotta get dirty. You just gotta get out there and you gotta pick up the ball and you gotta run and you're gonna get tackled and you're gonna get you know yelled at and you're gonna get mud in your face and you're gonna get all these things and you're still gonna get up every day and you're gonna go after it because mm. if that's where you're passionate, that's what you're passionate. I can't imagine doing anything different. If I were to do anything else, I probably would be a psychologist, to be honest. And I had someone tell me that. They were like, yeah, but you are. You are a psychologist. Yeah. Like your music, like what it does for people, it's it's like therapy for them. It's like Totally. But I think for any any creative, you have to do the work. No one's going to do it for you. You have to do the work. Come on. So it sucks, but it is for a reason, right? It is for a reason. And I tell you what, if you are a creative right now that you are not in that place where you have kids, you're not in that place where you are like in a 
committed relationship to where it's like you have those responsibilities and there I'm grateful for my responsibilities in that area. But at the time, like all of this was going on, I was single. And so I would be up all night and then I would get up in the morning. Right. And so like you, if you are in that place, I don't know, I forget Billy Joel's music director. He, when I was at Berkeley, he came and did a master class and he goes, practice now, practice, practice as much as you can every single moment. Because when you get out of this building, when you leave college, you, you will not have nearly the amount of time to practice like you think you will. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. He was right. He was absolutely right. And so for like every creative right now, that's like in that space of like, you have the ability to like, just burn the midnight oil, burn the midnight oil, yeah. watch everything that you can on Ted talk, watch every YouTube video, watch things, listen to music that you aren't even pursuing right? Just get ideas, read books that you would never read. I love historical fiction. I also love like, you know, kind of, you know, nonfiction business kind of books, read fiction, read something different, like pick up something that is not what you typically are going to be going after just to get a different perspective of things. But for right now, you got to do the work. Yeah. Sorry. You know, it's, tempting and easy sometimes to look at folks who are further down the road and just be like, well, must be nice for Chad Lawson. Must be nice to have this many streams and this many people listening to his show and getting to travel and whatever. But I don't know who said that. It's a, it's a quote that says impossible has a skill set. And I love mm. that because it's easy to just think that everything is, you know, just talent alone or just luck alone without realizing the effort you know, 20 years, right? And yeah. this journey that you generously shared with us today, it's the real stuff that people don't like to talk about, but it is required. So again, back to, do you really love this? Is this the, is this the battle you really want to fight? Somebody told me yesterday, choose your heart, yeah. you know, anything worth pursuing is going to be hard. Is this the journey, you know, you want to go down? I know we're a little bit over the time. I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm, I'm curious. I, I really resonate with what you said in the morning, like what is something impossible? I, I'm paraphrasing mm -hmm. that you can the most do today. Yeah. yeah. So unapologetically, I'm ambitious. I tr like, I even have written here on my wall. Like I, I just made a list of like impossible things for this one thing I'm working on of like, if this could be awesome, it's literally said, if this could be awesome, what would that look like? And I wrote down all this stuff that is just like, off the wall. And I'm trying to practice that. I was just talking to someone a minute ago about kind of stretching your imagination and being able to think outside of, you know, all the pathways that you've built for yourself. And it's a, it's a cool thing. Also figuring out how to ground that in gratitude for today and what's enough, <laughs> what is enough and it's been interesting navigating that because I, I never want to get rid of my ambition because I think God gave that to me for a reason and it's going to drive me forward and help people. And also, comma, there's a invitation there to also learn how to be really grateful for where you're at and grounded. And because I think folks like me and you are always going to be reaching for more, you know? So how do we keep that a game yeah. versus something that tortures us? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was talking, I was working with this artist quite some time ago and he was a really well-known producer. He's worked with Madonna and Bowie and all this kind of stuff. And I was telling him all of these, you know, ambitions that I had. And he finally stopped me. He was like, Chad, what's the rush? You're going to get there. 
It may take two years. It may take five. It may take 10. But he's like, what you're doing right now, are you going to be doing anything else in your life that you really want to be doing? It's like, no, not at all. Mm. He's like, what's the rush? Mm. Just be patient. Things are going to happen. Believe that they're going to happen. And then just figure out ways to allow those things to happen. And this is probably, I know we've gone on for so long and I'm so sorry, but this is like one last thing I really want to leave. A couple of years ago, I found out, and this could be completely false, but I was reading this article about how Amazon, when they were going to create a new product, that their idea in creating a new product was not to like begin to design the layout, begin to like, you know, fabricate everything. What they decided to do was first build the press release of whatever the item is. And they're like, let's write the press release. Let's be very clear what this item does. And Mm. then we'll work backwards and how to build whatever this item is. Because a lot of times what we want to do is just like, well, we we don't really have a a game plan, but we're just going to do it. I'm just going to make music. And then I'm just going to tour. And then I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. But it's not until like we actually start saying, you know what? Let's create the purpose. Let's create the end result of what we're hoping to do. And then let's work backwards. And how do we get to that end result, right? Because a lot of times, like what we're trying to do is like, we're trying to put on our shoes and we're trying to go for a run. And then we realize we don't have pants on right now. We're like, oh, okay, that's not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. But if we set it out and we're like, hey, you know, what? I really want to go run today. I'm going to run five miles. You're a runner. You understand this. Yes. And so yes. you like, you have those things in place that you know you're going to need for that run rather than just like hopping out of bed and just putting on the very first thing you have and then going for a run. Well, our career has to be like the same, right? Yes, it's a passion, but it's also a career. It's actually what's going to like Come put on. food on your table and provide for your family. And unless we have this end result of what we're wanting it to be, we're just kind of getting up in the morning and running without a purpose. And that just doesn't make sense. So, you know, two things that are really, really stressed is subconscious thinking, get sleep, Allow your mind to like really, really chew through things at night when you're not messing with it, mm. get out of the way. And the second thing is to create this parameter that you can work backwards in and say, okay, I'm going to reverse on. engineer this. How do I build it? Freaking masterclass, y'all. Y'all take that in? Did you take it in? Did you take notes? So much good Um tactical advice. Uh, Thank you for your generosity, not only with your time, but like I said, you don't have to share the gritty side to stuff, the non-glamorous side that what it takes to actually build what you've built. Um, But this is going to help so many people because again, back to impossible has a skill set. This is stuff that we can learn. We can improve. We can get better over time. Um, It's just like you said, you have to be willing to do the work. Uh, where would you like to direct our listeners to? I mean, the simplest space would be my website, just chadlawson.com. That would be the simplest yep. place. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. That'll be linked in the show notes. I'll also throw in your incredible podcast, which I've been binging through. It's incredible. And um, your Instagram, your Instagram. So all that be linked in the show notes. Very last question, Chad Lawson, what is something that you right now in this season of your life are deeply questioning that you don't know the answer to. And it could be something very small or it can be something really deep. I don't care. What is just something that's been on your mind lately that you're like, hmm, 
this is a heavy one. When I get asked these questions, I have to go with the very first thing that comes to mind, to be honest. Yes. And sometimes that's not always like the best public opinion answer, but it's just one that I have to say. I wrestle with why we are not able to give ourselves and others hmm. grace. As someone that has always loved taking care of people, it's really difficult for me to see a need, no matter what that need may be, and dismiss it or pretend it doesn't exist. And I think right now there's a lot of need in people. I hear it every day with emails from the podcast. Everything from, particularly lately, lots of emails about suicide to sexual abuse to loneliness. And I think, I don't think there's an answer for it, but I think it has to start with us trying to figure out how to begin conversations with others, just one-on-one -on -one. and not like a, how are you? But in a, on a scale from one to 10, how is your day? Like a question that's going to get a response that then further their, that engagement. And I think the, re the question that I'm wrestling with is why are we not asking that more to each other and having that grace for what someone else is dealing with, be it on an international level with just all the chaos that's going on in the world to yeah. the crappy day that your kids may have had at school. Right. So that's, it's a heavy one. Sorry. It's where my heart is right now though. Oh, please so don't apologize. I, I'm with you. Somebody asked me yesterday, like, what's your favorite color? And I said, for some reason, purple popped in my head, even though it's not, <laughs> but just intuitively right now it's purple because it just, it's what's real for you in the moment. And, and then that's why I'm, I'm so in awe of the creative space, because sometimes when you don't have answers to things like what you just presented, it's interesting how music and photos and a television show that has nothing to do with nothing can like seep into like these weird places in your heart and soul and like heal things that words, logic, reasoning can't because it's such a spiritual issue that's kind of met with a spiritual answer. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that being said, try to find one person to give grace to today. And if you can't find one person to give grace to, then let that person be yourself. And hopefully Ooh. we'll yeah. start going from there. I like this. You're like the this best. Thought. Thank you so much for your time um, and your patience and all the tech issues and stuff. This was more than, more than I could have asked for. Incredible conversation, Chad. Thank you very much.